Welcome back to Black and Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, an award-winning author, two-time Emmy Award-winning news producer, publisher, all that good stuff. Today, we're talking with Enaton Burial II. He is the author of Burial-esque, Gentlewoman, The Grey, and the forthcoming Black Dad. Enaton Burial II is a visionary, entrepreneur, global storyteller, and three-time best-selling author. He penned the award-winning and best-selling books that the Obamas, Oprah, and the Zuckerbergs own. His first book was 2009's Bariola-esque, the contemporary gentleman and etiquette book for the urban sophisticate. That was followed by 2013's Gentlewoman, Etiquette for a Lady from a Gentleman, and 2016's The Gray, a relationship etiquette study. Through his writing, Enaton has been nominated for an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literary Work and has shifted his posture from internet sensation to international author of the year in 2018. He is the CEO of the Bariola S Group, founder of Exhibit Gray, and runs the creative agency St. Miles. A corporate fixer, cultural figure, master communicator, celebrity ghostwriter, and world speaker with over a decade of experience, his voice resonates with his cult following. In this conversation, we discuss how he tested whether his book would resonate through Twitter and Instagram, the story of how he puts Gentlewoman in Oprah's hands, his experience with depression at the height of his success, what it means to be a Black dad, and how his faith is anchoring his life. Black and published family, let's welcome Enaton to the show. No, you're good. Recording is in progress. So, first question. When did you know that you were a writer? How are you going to just bust out with something like that? <laughs> that's, that's like a simple question that I've never been asked. I don't know. You know what? Wow. When did I know? Like, does that mean, okay, I've always been, right? Like, I came to the the realization probably after the book. I had such a hard time addressing myself as an author because I felt like I cheated the system because I never got a degree in like English or I never had like this fascination with literature and I never had a desire to even write a book. It was never a goal of mine. So I value um, and respect craft and I didn't take the necessary steps in my mind to write this book. It was just pure talent and research. And like, I mean, looking back, of course it was hard work, but the normal steps that somebody else may take, that's like a devout writer. I never, indulged in. So I never considered myself an author for, for a very long time. But I mean, my writings date back to like in my head, you know, like you go back and you're like, oh, I guess I was kind of like, those were raps I was writing in, in elementary school. I didn't really, you know what I mean? Like, I guess I was kind of like doing poems and, and raps and a lot of ideas I would keep in my head because I didn't, who am I to think I can, <laughs> like, I never wanted to, but who am I to think that any of these random ideas floating my head in my head are actually like, like doable and necessary ideas, you know, fast forward. So I comfortably now um, consider myself a writer, but the, I guess the challenge is like, I'm much more than that. You know what I mean? Like communication is, 
is the the skill set and the vehicle could be writing. It could it could be um, public speaking. Um, it could be you can communicate through fashion. You communicate through design. You communicate through graphic. You communicate through uh, essentially you're expressing yourself and your point of view. And I least me and everything that I do and everything that um, everything that I associate with. You know what I mean? Like my friends a reflection of my communication and my stances. And so um, I just, I guess I'm just a communicator, right? Like at one point my bio read master communicator on Instagram. And because I'm so aware of my thoughts and, and carefully, I choose my words carefully. I don't know if I could adopt the term master communicator because I'm I'm too thoughtful when I speak and I speak slowly and it gets on my wife's nerves and I'm thinking and you can almost hear my thoughts as I speak. You can hear me thinking and, and making sure that I get every word right, not because I'm a recovering perfectionist, but because words matter and you don't want to waste them. Words matter. You don't want to waste them. And yet you found time to thoughtfully express your words in three books, starting with Bariola-esque, which is, I guess you would say, the point in which you accepted you were a writer after that book came out. So what was the journey to Bariola-esque? It's a journey of my life, really. First of all, I just addressed the elephant in the room. You have a wonderful speaking voice. I hope you were doing a bunch of podcasts and it's on record. And I hope you were doing a bunch of audiobooks. And I hope that you were doing a bunch of voiceover work. And I look forward to seeing you in the DreamWorks film. We're hearing your voice. Okay, so um, Burial Esque was like, you know, I mean, it's my life. You know what I'm saying? The, the easy part about writing it is it's like I'm just writing about my life, style, my life, my, um, <laughs> my uh, influences, like, you know, what I believe to be true, my morals, my values, how I was raised. The journey was uh, started in 1982 in San Jose, California. Um, just a kid from Cali who was raised by like those classic grandparents that we all know and love. You go over to grandma's house for soul food on Sundays and grandpa's, you know, sitting on the couch humbly and calls you over to teach you a lesson or two about life. You know what I mean? And you can kind of just see his mannerisms as uh, I could see his mannerisms as a child and how he treated my grandmother and how he treated people and how he dressed. I mean, this jacket reminds me of my grandfather. Um, Just all those influences, they were normal to me. And like that traditional classic black, um, that's, that's, that's the school that my grandparents come from, right? You don't really see too much of it now. You know what I mean? It's like a different generation. Like I still have that in me. So it's like this contemporary traditional mindset where there is a pull toward the new and the current and the future, but there's also a huge respect for the past. So that's really the the basis of what Burial S, that book is, is founded upon. Like the idea that you can maintain your own identity uh, as a man, um, but you just apply these principles, right? Like, I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to um, inspire you to change for yourself. So it's not about, like, being adorned in a perfect bow tie and, like, sitting up and standing straight and, yes, sir, no, sir, you know? It's not about, it's not about the corny elements of 
of etiquette and being a gentleman, but it's really about, you know, adopting principles that you may have never considered or you may have thought were invaluable to you, but actually um, are the missing components to your matriculation, your navigating through life. Like you get so many things via etiquette. Etiquette's opened so many doors for me. The education hasn't. It's given me so many opportunities. It's allowed me in rooms I shouldn't have been in. Um, what is etiquette? It's governing relationships. It's, it's sending the thank you letter, the handwritten note in 1998 to Hewlett Packard instead of the email. Well, accompanied with the email to thank them for sitting down to interview me four times. And I think that letter was what kind of pushed me over the edge. But this dude sent me a, a handwritten letter in 98, like a thank you letter. Like, let's, let's hire this, this peculiar character, you know? So, um, I mean, there's countless. I remember being at FAMU and accidentally having on a suit when I was going to student financial aid office because I had a, a presentation that day and that required a suit. So that was one time they let me slide through the line. I was like, let me wear this suit tomorrow and next week. And I realized that like, yo, people take you seriously in suits. So I got a lot of business handled where other students had to wait in long lines and the heat just because I had on a suit, you know, they saw me in that line all the time. They never, they never gave me the one up. But as soon as I came through with that suit, they said, Mr. Burial, have you been seeing it? Can I help you? I was like, word, you talk, you're talking to me. So I just learned the value of um, presentation and perception and etiquette and morals and um, the idea that you get what you give. So what are you giving your audience in your books? You know, I'm, I, as a writer, you know that, you know, you bury your soul in these pages. You know what I mean? Like, I only went so far in, in Burial-esque. There's a chapter, I think it's like the second chapter called Man in the Mirror. It's like before you kind of get involved in the book and start really sifting through the pages. And it just, it takes a brief look at, it's a self-assessment. It takes a look at the man in the mirror. And it's, it's like going back and reading now, I see where I was going with it, right? I was trying to identify that, you know, nothing starts beyond you. It all starts there. You know, something that quarantine has taught us. It's like, yo, everything you need is right in front of you. And before you can go out and like, sufficiently and, and practically and successfully love anybody else, <laughs> you got to make sure that you love yourself, right? And that's like an easy cliche statement. What does that actually mean? You know, and, and it took me all the way through Gentlewoman to the Gray to truly define what that means in a like tangible, specific way. But Man in the Mirror chapter um, really brought the focus back on you when you point one finger at others, four fingers point back at you. So it really just takes in that on that, that personal responsibility in terms of um, getting your ish together. And it's, it's a, it's a mantra that lends you to the idea that, yo, like everything that you put out there, everything that you, that you plant, it's going to grow. Like, I mean, you and I, we're both people of faith, you know, and it's, it's, it's like nothing goes away. Like energy doesn't, <laughs> it's not destroyed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like me smiling right now, I can change your, in, I can, I'm, I can change your energy based off of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you in turn can give me that energy that I gave you and we're just exchanging this energy. So the whole 
experience can be a good one, like a date. You know, I used to love that, controlling the environment. Like, I know how to kind of, like, you know, manipulate people into a good time. You know, and I, I've, I've learned that you have to, everything that I seek and everything that I desire, if I'm feeling like, damn, I'm kind of unloved, or if I'm feeling like insecure, or whatever it is I'm feeling, I give that energy out. You know, whether it's digitally liking people's photos on IG and telling them how dope they are, because I genuinely believe that, you know, and they may have not heard that in that way, because sometimes successful people don't get the applause, especially when they're perpetually successful. (laughs) But I I, I big people up and tell them what I see. I see the truth in them and I speak to it. And um, I receive that back. Everything that I've given um, that I can account for since I started counting, I've gotten back, good and bad. But by God's grace, he, he, he usually transforms it to good in some way. It works out for the good. Amen. Called according to his purpose. (laughs) Called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans. Preach on this. Romans 8 and 28 from the good book. Hey. (laughs) And I read Romans 8 last night. I should have known that. It's a beautiful verse. No. The whole verse is beautiful. Yeah. So, like, you talk about combining the contemporary and the traditional, having people self-assess themselves and how that relates to others and you parlay that into these books burial as mm-hmm. gentlewoman and the great what was mm-hmm. the journey from getting those books out of your head onto the page and then into someone's hands someone like an oprah and a obama so burial was like i mean it's your first project you know what i mean you don't really know what the heck you're doing and essentially, you kind of don't know what you're doing every time. <laughs> you just refine the process. But um, Burial-esque, I mean, I, I, originally there was supposed to be a ghostwriter. Like, it's so crazy, the story. I had a mentor of mine who suggested, a, you know, this, this book I did for me. And um, he got everything kind of in play. And he said, I think your lifestyle is, is marketable. I've been, I've been, you know, hanging around you for some time. And I just think the way you treat people, the way you are, the way you be, and I, you know, this is like 19, I mean, 2006. So it was like, my lifestyle is marketable, branding, brand. You should be a brand. What are you talking about? But uh, I believed in him. So um, initially there was a ghostwriter and my mentor tragically passed away and I had to take on the book project by myself. So like blank slate. So I said, yo, bro, you, the way you like vibe and talk to girls and all that, like, can you figure out how to write like that? Like, the way that you, when you get in that flow and that zone that you just lock in and you're just, it's a rhythm and it's a dance. Can you figure out how to like write that way? And I knew that like in English, you know, my mom being a speech pathologist and she would come home when we were kids and give us these aptitude tests and all this stuff and all this English testing. And we didn't, we just thought it was normal, but um, we were like in gifted and talented students, my siblings and I, and we were just like proficient in English. It was easy. It was like, physical education, it was an easy A or like art, you know, for other people struggled, it was easy. I remember my fourth, my freshman year high school English teacher saying like, yo, you're really good. We had these writing prompts we had to write for the first 10 minutes of class, whatever topic. And I would come up with stuff. I remember I stole the line from uh, Naked Gun, like a midget, excuse me, because that's terms that politically incorrect now, but like a midget at a urinal, he had to stand on his toes and hope for the best. I was like, yo, did anybody else just hear that? <laughs> that movie came out in the net, like a midget at the, in the, in the urinal. He had to stand on his toes and hope for the best. I thought that was just 
very vivid and funny and like witty and like, yo, did they just put this in a movie line? This is the craziest joint. And I like that concept. So I'll take that idea and just apply it across the board, like funny wit, um, uh, things that just are common sense that people overlook. So uh, the first book, it was just like applying all of that, applying all that I knew, uh, everything that I thought in my head, the whole image, the vibe, just like, just going for it. You know what I mean? Just like, let's just go for it. Let's talk how we want to talk. Let's say pleasantries. Let's, let's play with the whole etiquette thing and make it your own. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I have fun with it. Um, and I, I, what was the publisher I went with? I think it was Author House. They were like, a, uh, it may still be around, but, um, not the, not the, not the best experience, but, um, Certainly, at that time, one of the only opportunities you had to put a book out independently and get it distributed through uh, all of the major distribution channels. So um, that was the first first look. Second, when Gentlewoman was, um, it was unique. It was definitely during the time. It was it was appropriate for the time, right? Social media was was kind of like banging. Um, Twitter and Instagram had just kind of barely come to the fold. So I would. I would I got popular on Facebook and Twitter by doing these ladies and gentlemen's tips that were direct references from you know relationship advice or whatever right like from me touring and and um listening to people in emails and Twitter and just being involved in the culture and and, and moving around you just hear conversations and hear what people want and you just assess and I have my own opinion on things but I was like how can I speak on these things like I, don't, I feel like I don't have the audacity to, right? Like, I don't have the credentials to speak on 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 some of these things. So I would do it in this kind of tongue-in-cheek kind way. I would end everything with pleasantries, but it would be like this harsh statement I would make, but it would be funny and true and common sense. So you didn't know how to feel about it. But at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? He's right. A bunch of those type of things. I, I was able to compile years of tweets that I saw that worked it will resonate, right? I would test these tweets, test them on Facebook, test them on Instagram, test them to different audiences. And eventually finally started putting like the best ones on Instagram through the recommendation of a friend of mine, Chloe, who was at the time, I think she was, uh, what was she doing? She was PR Essence Communications. And then she went to, I think uh, from there, went to Revolt. I know Chloe. I mean, yeah, she's a yeah, Chloe, that's the home team. As a matter of fact, she's from Chi-Town. I know you we know We went her. to high school together. Yeah, yeah, that's home team right there. That's family, family. So shout out to Chloe. Um, yes, yeah, so she's the one that told me you should put your, your, your quotes because you post on Twitter, on Instagram. I was like, ah, oh, that's corny, though. Like those little picture posts people do, that's hella corny. <laughs> she was like, trust me, you do it. Like do two a days, just do it up until the book released a gentlewoman. So I did it and I just took the, the, tw- the tweets that were resonating the most and getting like the most engagement. And I would be like on the tweet, the Twitter, uh, they used to have this like most tweeted or something like, uh, something like, you know what I mean? Like on, the I would trend, be on like the yeah. main page. Yeah. The trending page all the time. So I saw those, those, those posts going crazy and I was like, okay, this is the content that works for the book. So I was able to essentially compile like for sure that content that I knew was going to resonate because I already had all the data points. So like, it was a very interesting experience, an experiment um, to like 
integrate social media with uh with 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 the the book campaign you know kind of how during obama's run you know social media played a major role you know on a very smaller scale the same kind of concept with gentlewoman and that book because it resonated so much in that content it just spread all over i mean everybody got in everybody's hands everybody loved it. it was it was a part of pop culture um it was seen in a way like a desirable item where whether you read it or not, you just wanted it. It became like that, <laughs> you know, it was like a trophy or like almost like a, a mascot for an era, you know, like 2013, 20 end of 2013 vibe through like 2015. That was like the era of the gentlewoman. And um, it was a term that women can embrace and adopt during a time where they didn't necessarily have one that they could all corral behind and agree upon. And, um, you know, Oprah, I handed that book to her at the Image Awards. My mom called me and told me that she was going to be there. I was getting ready to go. Um, and I used to write, what was I doing at the Image Awards? I don't know. I was just on a bunch of press junkets and stuff like that. And uh, I saw Oprah and she was on stage, you know, introducing Tyler Perry. I was like, wow, what a magnificent woman. You could feel her energy all up in the room. And I saw her security guards were there guarding her during a break and my audacious self told by my manager at the time, like, yo, just go, let's go give her a book now. I was like signing it while she was on stage and she got off. I was like, I think it might've been, you know, one of three books I brought in there with me. And uh, you always got to have your books on you. I know, you know, you got to have those books on you. You never know who you run into. I used to carry burial-esque everywhere. So I, I, I walked straight to her like beelined and her security like looked at me and just let me through. Meanwhile, before I arrived, they were like, anyone that tried to approach, they were moving, moving them away. I was like, I don't know what kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like water guys allow me to walk on, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this opportunity. So I leaned in, I smelled some sort of perfume, some fragrance, some aroma she has on that is not sold at stores because I never <laughs> smelled anything like that. I don't know what that was, but it was beautiful. And she reminds you of like an aunt or godmother that you know. You know, when you get close to her, she she did something unique where she like opened herself up. She could have shut me down when she looked at me like, yo, looked at her security, gave a little notion, a little nudge and like had me up out of there. But she was in the front row. So I walked down to the front row and all these folks are looking at me, you know, like Idris Elba, Gail King, all these folks are just like looking and, and uh, like, who's this cool guy, you know, walking up to Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just kind of turned because they were like, oh, he belongs here. And I, I, I put it in her lap. You know what I'm saying? We met, I locked eyes. I said, I wrote this for you. She said, thank you. She, she's like looking at it. The words comes back on. They're like, clap, 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 clap. All right, introducing. And it's all loud. And she's still looking at it. She's just like looking at it. She turns it over. I'm like, wow. And my manager snapped two photos that uh, I, need to, I need to frame one of those photos. But um. It was beautiful, ironically, uh, or coincidentally, or by God's um, grace, uh, doing and grace and divine order. A discovery network reached out to me like shortly thereafter, um, crying about like a reality show and put me on the whole gambit. And um, I'd already been in conversation with Owen long before that about um, before the book even came out. Ironically, about doing a show. They've been courting me for some time. Um, it just interesting journey, very interesting journey. All the opportunities and uh, President Obama, uh, two different times, occurrences, was able to get it. Um, 
once through a friend of mine that, that, that uh, I, I did the Roland Martin show in DC and I walked over to the Capitol building afterward and um, was getting a tour from some staff members. And I wanted to give a copy of Gentlewoman to Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who contributed to the book. So I stopped by her office to drop a book off and um, ran into a friend of mine who we had a conversation. I was like, y'all could get the book to him. I was like, cool. So we set that up and it happened. And the second occurrence, I was on a flight first class to Dominican Republic with all of my homies. And the gentleman sitting next to me was the, what was his, what was he? The body man? No, no, no. He was in politics. He was like the, um, he was like a, um, he had a position. I can't remember what his position was, but he was like the ambassador. To, he had some sort of political position. And I was just telling him about like what I was doing and stuff. And he was asking about, and he was like, oh, the first lady would love this book. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ironically, she already has it. <laughs> but <laughs> If you want to go ahead and, uh, you know, arrange something, he's like, hey, listen, man, you know, give me, give me your, uh, your, you know, let's take, take down my contact information. He made sure we were straight in Dominican Republic. So I saw his political power flex, <laughs> you know, um, but also was able to, again, get the uh, books rotated through the family. So um, it's really like those instances are really just a matter of like, you, know, you got to just kind of take opportunities and matters into your own hands and always be prepared you know like you you know like part of the process is is the doing of the work and all that but there's an innovative part of it that you just gotta like it's like survival you just gotta just like throw everything out there and not be be unafraid to commit all of your energy and all your creativity and wild ideas and audacity and risk and all of that to this to this individual project, right? Because those seeds that you plant, as we started the conversation, you get what you give. Like those those seeds will will sprout, Absolutely. right? You never know how they're going to blossom. It's the beautiful, the most beautiful thing. You just don't know. You just put in the work. You don't know what it's going to look like. So always be prepared. Yes, and it seems like you know from 2006, you talked about you know taking your thoughts and getting them down, and then going with a ghostwriter, and then writing it yourself, and making your mm-hmm. lifestyle a brand. From there, that just being a concept to 2013, 2015, after Gentlewoman has come out, it's a reality. So with that, and you have refined your process since then. And since then you released The Gray, which I think is probably the culmination of the first two books into a more of a finite perspective. So walk, walk, walk us through The Gray and what you were really trying to achieve with the book and then the exhibition that followed. Well, the gray is a relationship etiquette study. So it's like a brother that's read burial esque meets a woman who's read gentlewoman. They get together, they meet, they go for Starbucks. Um, that's a super whack date. They actually, um, <laughs> read to me. it's not whack, you know, anything can have, it's not the, the, it's not where you are, but who you're with, right? But they go, they agree to like, spend $20 and they go to a few museums in DC for free. Um, they go by, they go walk by the water in the Lincoln Memorial and um, they, they bring a bottle of wine for a picnic out on the grass and it's an extended date and they just have this really good time. And it ends at, at uh, one of their places where, where he pulls out 
um, some food that they that he already had in his fridge and he cooks for, you know, and they finish off the bottle of wine. Um, now you'd expect those two to just like live happily ever after because he's Barry Oleskin. She's a gentlewoman. Isn't that how life works? So there's the, the gray area of relationships of life that we have to account for that we tend to avoid or act like doesn't exist. You're seeing the gray all spilled all over the place right now <laughs> in, in <laughs> culture and society, socially. Um, but the conversation was like, I was, I was watching women celebrate this newfound uh, respect or renewed respect or rediscovered respect and love that they have for themselves. And they were celebrating and gentlewoman was this whole thing. And it, uh, they almost began to some women like weaponize this newfound love. And it was like, you know, there wasn't any tolerance and it was just like, yo, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing this crown, you know, like, and, and carrying it as a, is a weapon almost, um, to shun or to belittle or to, to feel better than or, or more empowered than you or better. It just, it, I was looking at it like, damn, are they drunk off some of this power? You know what I'm saying? It's, this is all created to exchange love, not hoard it. Right. Cause when you, when you experience love for the first time, it's like, Oh, I want this for myself to try to protect it and not give it back. Right. So I just saw this language being developed. It was, um, Sounds like, like pre-cancel culture. Yeah, it was. It was like it's like supremacy in a way. Um, and I, I I understood it, but I saw that it was dangerous. And I was like, yo, we have to deal with much more than this this black and white way in which that I write. If you do this, then this. If it, all this like tongue in cheek, witty, cute, fly, it works. It's true, but it's there's more context, right? It's more it's more than just headlines and such, right? So. I wanted to get into the, into the thick of it. And in order to do that, I had to go into the thick of it with myself. So it was a very, um, as you know, you, it's, it, you can't write a book without authenticity, without honesty, without like pouring yourself onto the pages and, and um, you know, cutting yourself for the vulnerability to drip through. So that's something I had to do on that journey. And it was difficult. Like I intended to write, a nonfiction guide, just like Burial Esque and Gentlewoman. And it turned into this creative nonfiction process where I was listening to uh, Kings of Leon, Walls album that just dropped. And they just kept saying, when the walls come down, when the walls come down. And I was listening to John, to John Mayer and um, Assassin and just different other tracks that had this energy that it was like quiet and cold and dark and, um, you know, when nestled through it, like that's the type of energy. So I started writing like that. I was like, what the heck am I writing? This is, I got to get to the book. And I just, it just, this thing opens up and your mind opens and you just, you just get locked in and you're just you flush it all out. And I looked up, I was like, this is like fiction. Who are these people? <laughs> Who are these characters? Where are we? What is this setting? I feel it. And I, I was, I don't know, even know how I created it, but it was just, it set the tone. You know, I think the, what are the, the first words? How do I how do I start this after the prelude and all that? Um, well, hold on. Go Since we're going to go there, we'll just set it just, up. Set yeah. it up and then go ahead and read a portion from the gray. And that'll be this little segment then. 
Go ahead. Well, there's better portions that I wanted to read, right? But I will just say, no, I just want to say that it was, it was interesting. And I want to add this to any writers listening, because sometimes you have an idea that you feel like you're set on. And as an artist, I encourage you to be open to the process because like creativity flows through us. It's not, creativity isn't, isn't our own like doing, you know what I'm saying? It, it, the creator allots us creativity uh, as a gift um, for a greater purpose. So we have to use it responsibly and you have to tap in and accept it and receive it when it comes and allow it to flow through you. Mm-hmm. So if you have something in mind and that shifts as you begin to put pen to paper or finger to keyboard, um, let that shift happen embrace it and see where it goes. And if it's way out of line then come back and correct it, but you can't go back to a moment. That's like where that vowel opens up and that flow begins. You can't interrupt that. You just got to let it out. <laughs> you just got to go with it. You'll never get that back. Yeah. This chapter this is the first chapter is called end of August, alternate Thursday. Like, what am I even saying? End of August. Alter- How did I even get that? Ch- that's not what I came to write about. Right. Like what is this <laughs> stuff that's coming out? Roads were quiet. Wind nestled through dry leaves as peculiar clouds broke through September sky. A faded sun poured champagne across the distant coloring, across the distance coloring the heavens. Summer, they said. It'll be warm, they said. It was brisk when a boy met a girl. Now, I don't write like that. I don't know what, where that came from. I was trying to write like, yo, this this is a relationship etiquette study guy. You know, I was trying to get into that zone and this came out. <laughs> I was like between wine and, you know, music and just the energy I was and obviously really, truly um, God's will. I was pivoting into a direction that I didn't know where I was going Didn't know how I got there. And that's how the book started. And it, it that's where that's where it went. It, it became about these two characters that were had no names mind you throughout the whole book except him and her she and he and uh it's this journey that they like where they meet how they meet um they fall in love get married all all the things in between it's just it's a crazy narrative i i want to read it right now just reading that because it's it's around the time of the year that it released um and it i i don't know it's it's it was a it was a special energy at the time but the book was a tragedy to write. It was so hard to write because I had to go into places within me that I forgot about that, you know, your body subconsciously protects you. And if you experience trauma, it, it may black things out. It may um, redefine them or reimagine them. So you see them differently in your head or whatever, right? Like if you don't address a trauma early, it can warp itself in all kinds of all kinds of things that um, you forget about. So yeah. I, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say this book cost you like a, a pound of flesh, right? Like you had to excise something of yourself to put it out and to put it on the page for others to get the same, that same energy out, right? I say 12 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in that vein, because I, I like to hear you talk about that as a challenge as a writer, but also mm-hmm. because, you know, talking about your story and how you've gone from like, you know, just this guy in his head to this, this storyteller and this author, you know, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like 
a charmed life or a charmed existence. So I want to ask you, Nona, what, is, what, are, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way from your mistakes or failures that we'll call lessons? I mean, I get L's every day. I, I call them lessons. I text, text Tish, my wife. I was like, um, I know we were talking the other day and I was talking to her about a, a lesson. It wasn't even a loss. Like somehow the refrigerator just in the freezer just stopped working and um, we didn't even know. And we woke up to warm food in the fridge and like cool food in the freezer. And we just went grocery, she would just went grocery shopping the other day. So we literally had to empty out our entire fridge and freezer and go grocery shopping again. And um, of course there's a cost associated, nothing to be mad at because we have it, right? Which is a blessing and something to note is a blessing, but also um, we are becoming healthier. We're already like eat healthy, but we want to even do be healthier and Hey, well, greater opportunity than to like clear out your entire fridge and freezer, even though it's probably already good and healthy and just like actually see everything that's in. So I just reframed everything. Right. And it was like, this is a lessons, right? So there's, that happens every day. Are you kidding me? Especially when you're talking about like, this is now a business is beyond just like um, me writing as an artist. It, it, you know, we, um, my business partner and I have a creative agency, St. Miles, where we deal with authors and help authors put their books out every day from point A to point B. So um, we understand what it takes. But, you know, the biggest, gosh, like the biggest, because there's so many lessons. I'm in a lesson now. I'm always in, a, in lessons. But what is the biggest lesson? You know, I think... Um, I think this, the, the through line is surrendering not to the process only because people always say they surrender to the process, but really surrendering to God because God is over the process and seeing the process through. And, you know, I didn't mention that I lost my first draft of Burial-esque on a laptop that crashed after my mentor passed, right? And I, I, I began to write it myself. And it was looking great and looking good. I moved to Atlanta to write it and focus and that computer crashed. I had to start all over. You know, I had to surrender to to God in that moment. There was a time where I was like getting frustrated with the publishing process on the first book. And I kind of just gave up. I just didn't say anything. I just kind of was like mentally checked out after like highly heavily promoting on Facebook and MySpace that this book was coming out and having people excited. And I was, Tish was my girlfriend at the time and she was like, you still doing the book? Hmm. And just that, uh, that alone, I don't know, maybe she phrased it a little differently, but it wasn't pressing at all. But that alone just like put my back back up and made me just be on some like, wait a minute, yo, like, let me tap back into this. This is crazy. She's right. Like, let me snap. And I finished it. But um, the process after writing The Gray and taking a year off because that book was so heavy, there's so much to write. Normally I go right into touring, you know, like I'm actually, I don't even stop touring. I mean, from burial guys and started touring and doing colleges and, you know, circuits, like unconventional circuits and just dope, dope gatherings. Like I never stopped touring, you know, that led to gentlewoman writing that book, touring off of that led to writing the gray while touring. So I never stopped. So I finally like after the gray, you know, after touring for like six years, I, I, I was like, yo, in order to do this tour the right way, which is entering spaces and 
allowing people to be themselves and providing a brave space for people to just be and for me to be truthful and for us to be truthful and exchange truthfully and um, talk about pink elephants in the room and, you know, talk about those conversations that we have in our group texts or that we have at the family dinner table on Thanksgiving publicly, but in our own intimate spaces and trust each other and to cultivate that type of environment and to be in a place where I was going to be seeing and feeling people's spirits and their energy. And, you know, cause as a writer, you know, we see beyond the flesh, you know what I'm saying? Like we feel things in a different type of way with our empathy. And I knew that that was all going to be in one space and I couldn't dare bring myself to go in those environments just as I am. I needed to be protected. I needed provision. Um, so before I, I toured, I took that year off and I decompressed and I processed everything that that book taught me about myself. And I had to go through fire. You know, I know the pastor at our church at one time, he talked about being in this deep ravine mm-hmm. and, um, it feels like it's, it's just you there, but it's you and God and it's dark. And it's like, how do you work your way up out of this thing? I was there. Some people call it depression. Some people call, I don't know. There's, there's all these terms for it, but I was just in a dark space at the height of my life. You know, there's so many beautiful things happening. And I just knew that I just needed uh, to be even tighter as tight as I was with God. I needed more God. And um, I, I started reading my Bible at the, the recommendation of my god sister when I was at a on a press run in New York and I met with her briefly and Asani was just like casually talking about how she reads the bible and you know and of course you know you know you're supposed to do but I I I never read the bible you know like I I know verses I know I you can quote bible study Sunday school growing up in church all that but you you got to have that relationship for yourself and beyond just the relationship because I have the relationship you had you got to know, you know, like truly know God, like beyond just, you know what I'm saying? Like really put in that effort and due diligence. It's so crazy because your story with your first book, Losing It, mirrors mine. And you know that I lost my first book and had to start mm-hmm. over. And then you just get to like, you know, I don't even want to talk about it anymore until, you know, it's finally ready to go because you've been piping it up. And then it's like uh, a setback. And then as yeah. you continue to go through the process you do get in that moment where it's just you and God. I remember I texted a friend Ooh. that one day. I would think I was in a line at Chick-fil-A. And I texted my friend. I was like, do you ever feel like it's just you and God in the world? And you, you could be in a whole room full of people. I'm in the whole drive through line. There's people behind me, in front of me, all around me at mm-hmm. Town Center. And I'm just like, I just feel like it's just me and God in this world right now. And that's all I've got. And it, it's, it's something about that space that makes you, that humbles you for one. And, but mm-hmm. also it teaches you. And I think for you to have gone through all of that at a, a pretty much a height of your success, you know, you're touring for six years, two successful books, a third book coming out. You're supposed to keep that momentum going. So for mm-hmm. you to say like, you know what? No, I need to take time and put pour back into yourself and get back what you lost by putting mm-hmm. it out into the book. That That is very courageous. I want you to take, find the section that you're going to do and give us a little bit of the gray. I need people to hear some of this book that cost you so much and drove to this self-reflection. Yeah. Let me, let me first, thank you for that. I mean, there's so much I want to say, but we don't have so much time, but I do want to um, caution everybody that <laughs> like I'm looking through this book. I'm like, yo, look at these, look at these choice of words. I was fully in a 
point of like pure openness exposure i was like you know so like i'm just i don't care my mom was reading it or my dad i'm like you know i'm like well i'm talking like this in here it's it's all just all open like just the most brutal honesty beautifully put you can you can read so um i so what i did in the gray is this kind of interesting thing where you know you know watching game of thrones or watching insecure afterward they have that recap it's like a 15 minute recap or when you're reading the word and then they have those notations on the bottom after you've read all the verses it kind of explain what you just read i don't know why i did that in the gray but it just i was compelled to do it i think because it's so colorful and like it's so dense and in one sentence you might have a lifetime of <laughs> of advice i had to like make sure you ain't miss and even in the explanation type vibe like i didn't put everything like it's art you just gotta go back and catch it but uh, this is in the end of August chapter in the um, notation section that I like to call specification. And it says, okay, so this is where the, the, the two, the, the couple, um, they were kind of getting to know each other, these, these young kids at the time. He could spill to her about anything, and the more they talked, the more anything could happen. He made her open to anything, including herself. The further they went, the more gorgeous the view. They got deep where there was no air. Be careful going with the flow. The current might steal you. And oceans of lore can lure you in and suddenly swallow you whole. The clashing of waves is dangerously beautiful. Observe from a safe place, but don't get in. She got in. When we fail to set the standard, and enforce who has access to our life, we tend to go with any rhythm that feels good. If there's chemistry, we allow a stranger to study our biology. Good vibes and dope energy will fool you. Be careful with carefree people. Casual words can spill from their lips to dampen your morals and get you to reconsider your values if only for a moment. The next morning when you're trying to piece yourself together after letting your guard down, they're nowhere to be found. Return to the shadows as quickly as they came. Sometimes a free spirit is just a tortured soul looking for its next victim. Mm. People with no inhibitions love phrases like loosen up, don't worry, it's all good. So pay attention to what you give your attention to by discerning between moments you're slipping further from your center or simply trying something new. Um, I thought that was interesting and important because that was definitely during a time and still kind of a time where people are like all about oh, those vibes, this vibe, you got good, you got good energy. Yo, let's connect with this vibe. We vibe and just keep it we're chill with this vibe. And we were just vibing. I was just going with the flow. We we're kicking it. We we're and suddenly you're pregnant. You got all kinds of this and that. It's all this happening, it's chaos, and that person is gone. I used to be that guy. <laughs> like, mm. I was good energy, good flow, good vibes, and I still am, but it was to a point of like irresponsibility you know you're just in that and you just float on away they call that ghosting nowadays but um i do think it's important like when uh, on that self-discovery period like the gentlewoman encourages right like go out on a date alone experience life alone eat dinner alone enjoy don't wait on someone else to take you on a date before you take yourself out on one all of that type of uh uh commentary like yeah, that's cool, right? But there's context because 
you can meet somebody on one of those instances where you're wide open and um, y'all just vibe. It's hella easy to vibe. And you think you're out there just trying something new, going with the flow, but um, you know, your lack of discernment has, has led you down a, a path that you're further, you're much deeper than, you know, where you started, where you're trying to get yourself out of. So that happens frequently. And we have to kind of like manage, maintain and define what good energy is, right? And going with the flow. What is good energy? Right. And all of this, it's it, you found growth. That's just what it what from book one to book two to book three. And then even in your own your own look at yourself and your life and your relationship and the development of your relationship from girlfriend to wife to wife and mother and father of one to two. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. growth. And so I think, you know, you're content as you continue to evolve and to grow, it shows in your work. So what's next? Yeah. I think that's the cool part for me. Like, because I've cultivated, uh, an audience, uh, some people got like, I need to come up with a name for my audience. I always thought that was corny, but I think I should. You know, Beyonce got the B.I.s. <laughs> I got to have a sort of vibe. But anyway, my like that community and audience that was developed, it's cool because like the onset, I was trying to encourage young men to just like be themselves, you know what I mean? And, and adopt these principles and taking them along, convincing them to hop in the car for that journey. And they got in and, and as a result, I was able to get a bunch of dope women in the car with me and then get couples in the car and we're all traveling together and we're growing together. Like as I grow in my personal life, they, they're willing to grow with me. You know, I'm talking about something entirely different. I, I pivot all the time because there's a greater goal in what I do, right? I dress a lot of these things up behind the greater purpose. You know, burial-esque was like this. It was all about, you know, sexy is back, class is back in sex session. Um, it was during the time where Jay-Z and 50 Cent were wearing suits to business meetings and boardrooms. And the look of hip-hop was maturing and dressing up. And culture was, as a result, following suit. So I had the perfect uh, entryway, right? There, was, there were low barriers to entry to kind of, like, put my message down. And... It's cool to look back then and come back today and be like, yo, my audience is like calling me about because I, I give my I, get, I let, you know, some folks in. I give folks access. They call me about like, yo, I'm dating this young lady. You know, I'm thinking about marrying her. They, they, they got like questions like that. They, they ask me about, you know, folks who are married or folks who are considering or kids and all that. Like I've inspired through my work, inspired folks to like want to do the right thing. Ah oh, man, I've never said that. I like that. That's cool because that was always the goal. I've inspired folks to want to do the right thing and make the right thing look good and look cool and, and not just look, but actually come to the realization that it is good and cool. But beyond that, there's something even greater I'm trying to get you to look at. Because the whole purpose of writing is to shift perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't want uh, to preach to the choir. You know, I need scoundrels. I need players. I need hoes and whores. I need like, I need everyday people. I need everybody on board. I'm talking to, to, to my people, my community, my people, not calling my people that, right? I'm calling my people community, which em- encompasses and embodies all of that. I'm not, I'm not discarding those who society 
says, you know, who they discount or discard. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging and loving those people because I see them. Like I said, as writers, we see, we see spirits, we see truth. Yeah. So what's next after, after all of this growth, your audience is growing with you. I know you're working on a new project. So what's yeah, next? Yeah. yeah. It's part of the growth. I mean, I'm writing a book called Black Dad. You know, there was birth out of, I love that title. It was birth out of, you know, well, really the seed was in there long before. I knew if I was going to write about men, women, couples, um, I had to write eventually about like kids or parenting or family or something. Like it's just a natural evolution, but I just, it, it, it all seemed so corny and predictable, but the way that this book is being uh, positioned is beautiful and unique and intriguing to me. And of course there's going to be a sprinkle of um, controversy. That's just how I roll. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm rebellious in a way, but really defining that, that controversial point and, 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 and framing it in a way that's palatable and digestible to everybody that everyone can understand. Cause like, why don't you just write about dads and not, like, why is it black dad? Because I'm a black dad. And our perspective needs to be framed because it's so misunderstood. And it's a fraternity that nobody knows about. It's a secret mm-hmm. society that nobody knows about until they join. And once you join, there's so much to learn, so much to experience, and so much to navigate, and so much you didn't know. And so many misconceptions in the world of views black dads is like so many different things either deadbeats, unavailable, or a freaking anomaly, like a savior or a hero, just because I'm pushing the stroller down the street with a cute girl and I got a dope coat on. I'm like, oh my gosh, look, you're such a good dad. You don't know anything about me. Meanwhile, hmm. you see a woman pushing strollers. You're like, where's the dad? Where's the father? Black woman, where's the husband? Like different questions. So there's so many, there's so many, um, points to address that have never been addressed right that i don't there's just so many questions there's so much and i look forward to for the opportunity to further encourage fathers encourage um sons and daughters because women will read it as well um and give them perspective um and shift perspective and inspire you know men and women to, or not women, but men to become fathers who may be afraid, who may be teetering around the line, who might be new fathers and, and don't know what the hell's going on. And um, It's a beautiful thing, this thing called father. I'm still learning about it every single day, but it's like, it's just a different level of life that a lot of people don't know is there. That's dope. From there, I want to move into a quick speed round, and then I have one final question for you. So, here uh, we go. Um, let's go. All right. Speed round. Who is your favorite author? God, the author and the finisher, Jesus Christ. Your favorite book? Abba Father. My favorite, favorite book currently? Come on, yo. You got me sounding like real Holy <laughs> Ghost, highly favorite. The Bible is just so interesting. It's like, it's not what you think. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, all, it's all, it's beautiful. It's not what you think. What's your favorite song? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yo, 
Impossible. Ah, favorite song. Africa D'Angelo, untitled. I mean, uh, Africa D'Angelo from the Voodoo album. That can change in any given moment. This is right now. All right. Island Getaway or Cabin in the Woods? Island Getaway. All day. Uh, we talked about your love for fashion. So designer or street style? What do you prefer? Fashion's love for me. Both. <laughs> I am I am I am the embodiment. I know you said quick answers, but both because I'm the embodiment of like I have sweats on right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I it's like a it's like party on top, business on bottom. So I'm I'm definitely uh I mix the contemporary contemporary street and the, like traditional all the time. I also know you're a sneakerhead. So what's your favorite pair of J's? Oh, gosh. Jordan <laughs> 1. Jordan 1 is just a classic. Um, the originals? The originals. The original Jordan 1 is is essentially one of the best shoe designs of all time because everything stemmed from that thought of creating an avant-garde sneaker that's kind of just different from the rest and it's it's still basic it's not really that different but from there they built upon a legacy that's like you know it's its own brand like the jordan brand became its own like they have their own offices you know what i'm saying like yeah so it their designs always look different than any other nike shoe you know what i mean it's like totally avant-garde now we're gonna relate this to your work you you talk a lot about relationships and relating to one another. How do you put how do you put a smile on your wife's face? Being silly. Being silly. And my silliness comes through via love. I could just like she could be doing something, like moving busy, and I'm just like fixed staring at her while she's doing it with a smirk on my face. <laughs> and eventually it's gonna catch her, right? Or just like I used to, you know, you're, you were in news. I used to, I, I always say, like, I'll be trying to make the A block all the time, like, just trying to get her attention, you know? So if I got to do something silly, like, dance or whatever, you know, like, I think she appreciates um, my silliness at times. All right. You know? And last one, what's the best part of being a Black dad? <laughs> oh, man. It's a privilege because, um, dang, the best. But you ask very tough questions, very good questions. Because you're asking for one thing. <laughs> love. I am a journalist. <laughs> the love, the legacy, and the leadership are the one set of things to answer your question politically correct that make being a black dad great. And I can break those down in so many different ways, but that one set, the love, the legacy and the leadership, that's a good premise to write about because I can break it down on things that are way less academic because I'm writing that down as we speak. Cause I like that. Awesome. You're good. You're so good. I have one very last question before we go. So you are a writer, whether you accept it or not. Oh, I accept it. Okay, great. So you are a writer and some writers write books, some writers write commentary or think pieces or whatever. One day when you are no longer here, 
what would you like someone to write about your legacy? I think I actually wrote that. Like, I actually, I think I wrote that. I think I wrote what you're saying. I don't remember what I said, but off top. And I wrote that because I, you know, like writers, artists, you have grandiose ideas and you think about stuff like that. <laughs> and sometimes like you write your own, like, you know, New York Times articles about you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, just because you know you're going there or whatever. So um, I certainly want to be like, want to be remembered as thoughtful. Um, and that kind of covers it. A myriad of things, but uh, you know, he just he just loves so much. He just loves. He was all about love. He loved God. He loved his family. He loved people, and he showed that in ways that were silent. He didn't speak about it. You know, he loved because um, he was. You saw him. He loved. Uh, the evidence of my love, um, I want it to, I want it to be, it's eternal, you know, and you do that through legacy and legacy happens through children, but it also happens through, you know, uh, through words, you know, in the beginning I said, being careful with, I'm careful and thoughtful with my words because words matter. You know, once you put that that word out there, once you get that tongue moving in those lips and that it, it, it goes out there, it's recorded in history, it's it's there. Something will happen as a result. And um, you build legacy with your words. You build legacy with your voice. So if you're barren and you don't have kids or you just you think legacy only happens to kids or business or finance, nah, you build it with your words too. You build it with your character and the impact that you, any time he's had on the world um, is beautiful, but the impact that any time has had on souls and on, on, on people in their spiritual walks and spiritual life, that's eternal. That's different. The world will be destroyed. All the books, all the, all, all that stuff will be destroyed certain things will last so what are you building and what are you fighting for i know what i'm fighting for i know what i'm building and my legacy will prove that thank you thank you big shout out today to enaton for being on the podcast this week make sure you check out enaton's books and be on the lookout for when black dad drops and if you're not following him on the socials Follow Enaton at Bariola-esque on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black and Published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow Black and Published at Black and Published on Instagram and Twitter. That's B-L-K and Published. And to keep up with me, head to newrights.com. Or follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nikisha underscore Elise. That's our show for the week. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace.